0: Hey, uh, let's pray, and then I want to share with you. Father God, I love you. I'm thankful for this great church, for this great body of believers. Father, I'm so grateful that you've called us to do amazing things, and we don't do it by our own ability. We do it by your grace. Father, I'm thankful as we look into the Word this morning that you stir our hearts in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. We started a new series called The House last week. In Genesis 28, in the first book of the Bible, God comes to an old farmer who's an idol worshiper. His name is Abraham. And he says, hey, come follow me and I'll make you a great nation. And Abraham doesn't have any better sense than to do it. And he asks God, hey, God, where are we going? And Abraham says, um, God says, Abraham says to God, where are we going? And God says to Abraham, don't worry about where we're going. I'll tell you when we get there. Well, they start this journey called life, much like the journey you and I are on. And Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob. And what God's desire is, is to take this family and to birth a nation out of it called Israel. So one day, Jacob's on a trip through the desert, stops to spend the night. And as he spends the night, he has a dream. And in this dream, he sees a ladder which we commonly in Sunday school call Jacob's Ladder. And it's a ladder that's on earth and up in heaven. And there are angels going up and coming down. And then he sees God standing at the top of the ladder, and God begins to talk to him. And he tells Jacob in this dream, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. The land you're sleeping on, I'm going to give to you. Every promise that I gave to your granddad Every promise I gave to your dad, I'm giving to you, and your seed, your people, are going to be like the dust of the earth. They're going to be like the sand of the seashore. We are those people. The Bible says that when you and I received Christ, we're the seed of Abraham. That promise was fulfilled. Every born-again Christian is the seed of Abraham. Jacob's all excited. I mean, he's like, wow, incredible. And so here's what he does. He says, hey, God, if you promise to take care of me, if you promise to meet my needs, if you promise to do what you said you're going to do, then I'm going to make my father's God my God. I've decided that I'm going to make you my personal God. Now, don't miss this. This is a watershed moment. In every Christian's life. You see, up to then, he'd been following God because of his dad. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a season for that. Listen, the best thing you ever do is introduce your children and grandchildren to the Lord Jesus Christ. The best thing you do is bring them to church. And they receive Christ as their Savior. And for a season, they follow God because he's your God. But every single one of us has to come to that place in our life where we take on Jesus Christ for ourselves. That's exactly what Jacob does. He says, God was surely in this place, and I did not even know it. And then he talks about the goodness of God. And he says, I'm going to make my father's God my God. And he calls that place Bethel. And the word Bethel means house of God. You and I have gathered this morning in this building. We've designated as the house of God. This is our Bethel. But I want to personalize it. Let me ask you a question. When and where in your life was your Bethel experience? What do you mean, Pastor? Well, you see, my Bethel experience was I received Jesus Christ in my parents' home sitting on my mother's couch as a 12-year-old. And I followed God from 12 until 21 because he was my father's God. But then at 21 years old, my wife and I went to a church meeting at a Holiday Inn of all places. I'd never been to church at a Holiday Inn. Back then, you didn't go to church at the Holiday Inn. The things that happened at the Holiday Inn didn't have anything to do with God. Amen? Isn't that true? Yeah. So we showed up at the Holiday Inn, and there was a guy there who was preaching, and that was my Bethel moment. I had an encounter with the living God. And when I did, here's what I thought to myself. Surely God was in this place, and I did not even know it. That's exactly what Jacob said. That's exactly what I said. And I began this journey called my life. And from that moment, that Bethel experience, my God was no longer my parents' God, but He was my God. And He became my Savior. He became my friend. And my life was transformed. Vicki's Bethel experience was at the First Assembly of God in Amarillo, Texas. My cousins went to church there. She went to church. Now, she had a different situation growing up than I did. The reason I had a Jacob experience was because my father was a Christian. My mother was a Christian. Now, they weren't perfect Christians, but they were Christians. Now, Vicki's mother was a Christian, still is, but her dad was not a Christian, and he's still not. So she did not grow up in a Christian home. So she had a Gideon experience. Pastor, what's a Gideon experience? Well, Jacob went out to the desert and he made his father's God his God. Gideon was hiding from the Midianites, threshing wheat down in a hole, and an angel shows up, and he has a Bethel experience. He has a face-to-face encounter with God, but the only difference is Gideon's father was an idol worshiper. Now, he had been a believer. He had followed God, but he was discouraged. They were discouraged, and they were under the judgment of God, and because of it, they became idol worshippers. So Gideon decided, I will not serve my father's false gods. I'm going to serve the living God. That was his Bethel. Now, I don't want you to miss this. My Bethel happened at the Holiday Inn, and I made my father's God my God. My wife's Bethel experience happened at the first assembly of God and with me at the Holiday Inn. We were married then. And she decided, I'm going to follow the true God and not be like my father and be an unbeliever. Now, there's two groups of you here this morning. There are some of you that you are a first-generation believer. There are some of you that you didn't grow up in a Christian home and you heard the gospel and you received Christ as your Savior and you had a Gideon experience. Then there's some of you like myself, you grew up in a Christian home and you had parents who were Christians or grandparents who were Christians, then you had a Jacob experience at your Bethel. Now, here's what I want you to see that I don't want you to miss. Can you remember when that happened to you? Can you remember when Jesus became your Savior your God, not just your mother Savior, not just your Meemaw's Savior, but he became your Savior. And you went from knowing about him, you went from hearing about him, to him becoming your God, your Christ, and your Redeemer. Listen, that experience changes your life. It changed my life. It changed Vicky's life. We were transformed by that encounter. So was Jacob. Jacob said, God was in this place and I didn't even know it. Well, he's sleeping out in the desert and he's using a rock as a pillow. He was a tough hombre, amen. He took that rock and he put a little pile of rocks and he poured oil on it, anointing oil. And he said, this is the house of God. We've done the very same thing. You're sitting on carpet and padding, but right under it is a concrete foundation. And I remember when we poured this foundation and we gathered before there was any of this here, it was just a raw concrete foundation. And we gathered in a big circle in this, I'm going to say this room, but it wasn't a room. It was just a pad. And we anointed it with oil and we declared this space, the house of God. Every time you gather in this place, this is the house of God. What else did we find out? Well, we found out God doesn't live here, okay? You don't build a building and God move into it. God doesn't live here, right? He meets us here. And then when we leave, he goes with us, amen? Then the second thing we found out is the house of God in the New Testament is you and I. The Lord Jesus Christ lives inside of Cody. The Lord Jesus Christ lives inside of Greg. The Lord Jesus Christ lives inside of Bernie and Bebo. The Lord Jesus Christ lives on the inside of me. The Bible says you and I are the temple of the living God. And when we gather in this place, God meets us here. I want to read a verse to you this morning out of Matthew 18, Verse 20, very simple verse. Jesus is speaking, and listen to what he says. He says, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. What does that promise mean to you and I? Well, it means that when you and I take time to show up in this place, God takes time to show up in this place. Where two or three of us gather, there am I in the midst You and I are just not here looking for God. I've heard people say that, that sometimes Christians make God the sky God. What does that mean? Well, he's out there somewhere, and we're looking out there for him. No, he's here. He came with me and with you on the inside of us, if you know Jesus as your Savior. And he said, I will show up in your midst, and I'm going to bring my life, my grace, my strength, and my mercy Whatever it is you need, he's here this morning to meet that need. Whatever it is that you're looking for, I want to read you another verse. I want to go to Hebrews 4.16. Here's what's been stirring in me. We're God's people. We've designated this space as God's house. And when we gather in here, I would like for you to turn up your expector. Turn up your expector. You see, at our house we have an oven, and you can preset that oven to come on, and you're not there. And so, a lot of times, Miss Vicky will cook something. And in fact, this morning there is an amazing meatloaf in that oven. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, brother. Now we're now we're preaching. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. That man. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I can't tell you what time. All right. And, and I know. I know this. The oven is going to come on at eleven. Okay, we've set it to come on. We don't even have to be there, and it's going to come on, and we walk in the door. The house is going to have the amazing aroma of meatloaf. I mean, man, Lord, we just dismiss in Jesus' name. No, no, we don't need to dismiss. It won't be ready till noon, amen? Listen, I want you to turn on your oven. I want you to turn on your expector. I want you to turn up your expectations. You are in God's house, and God is meeting you here, and God has whatever it is you need, whatever it is you desire, whatever it is you want. God is here to meet that need. But you've got to stir your heart. You've got to stir your faith. Every morning when I drive here on Sunday to open the door and turn on the lights, I always pray, God, this is not just another Sunday. This is not just another Sunday. Father, this is the day you've made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Today is a gift given to us by God. This service and these facilities and that new parking lot and the new basketball goals, all that we've been given is a gift from God so that we can come into his house and we can meet with him, we can worship him, we can seek his face, and then he's here supernaturally to meet our needs. Now, it's no mystery in here. Probably every one of you know I enjoy watching a football game. Well, probably my favorite football of all is college. And there's one reason why. Passion. Passion. I long for the day that the body of Christ acts like a stadium full of people do at a college basketball game. I mean, last night, Penn State played Ohio State. In Pennsylvania, it's called Happy Valley. It's the third largest stadium in the world. It'll hold 110,000 people. And there's not an empty seat in the house to watch 19- and 20-year-olds run into each other with a leather ball. I mean, it really doesn't make any sense, does it? And you know what it means when it's over? Absolutely nothing. Right? I mean, in the scheme of things. But there is such passion. And when those games start, even through the television, it gives me goosebumps to watch it. It It's unbelievable because of their heart and their passion. And it just stirs on the inside of me. How is my passion for God? How is my expector for God? Do I have my oven turned on? Is it preheating? When I walk in this place, is my heart warm and ready for God? Or do I just show up and think, whatever, it's another week? Now, let me read you a verse. Hebrews Hebrews 4.16. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Listen, don't miss this. God wants you to first off approach His throne. You are welcome to approach Him. And it says to do it with confidence so you can receive what? So you may receive mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. Listen to it one more time. So you may receive mercy. And find grace in your time of need. I bet this morning, in one way or another, there's not one of you in this room that doesn't have some kind of need. You don't have something going on in your life that you would really love it if God would show up and take care of whatever it is. Listen, you have come into the house of mercy. It's not the house of judgment. It's not the house of law. It's not the house of condemnation. It's the house of mercy. And the scripture I just read says, your father is inviting you to come boldly, to come with confidence into his presence and to his throne. You're welcome. You're welcome. The creator of the universe who sits on the throne of the universe is asking you to come with confidence. What do most people do? Well, we either come with condemnation. We come with guilt. We come with our head hanging down. We come with what the devil's been telling us we've been doing this week. But your father says, hey, come to the throne. Come with confidence. Why? So I can show you mercy. Mercy. I've been praying that over the last several months since early this summer. I've been praying it over you that God would pour out his mercy. God, pour out your mercy. God, thank you for mercy on our families, mercy on our lives, mercy on our livelihoods, mercy on our children and our grandchildren. Father, mercy on America, whatever, as big or as small as you want to make it. Mercy, mercy, not judgment. There was judgment, and it was poured on Jesus. You see, my judgment was put on Jesus the penalty of sin has been paid. I will never pay for my sins. You know why? Jesus paid for them. Jesus paid for your sins. The penalty, the punishment of my sin has been paid for. And you know what my Father is offering me and offering you? When you come in this door, you can get mercy. 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 For whatever it is you've done or whatever it is is weighing on you, whatever it is you need. It says in the last part of this verse, in your time of need. Now listen, I know your need is different than my need. Everybody in this room has different needs. Everybody in this room has different hurts. And the scripture says, come with confidence. Come boldly. Don't you love that? Come boldly to the throne of grace. Grace. Not the throne of judgment, not the throne of law, but grace to find mercy. Let me read you another verse. I want to read to you out of Ephesians 2.4. What am I talking about? You're in the house of mercy. That's what I'm talking about. And you're on a journey, and I hope you've had a Bethel experience. I've had one. I've had more than one. You know, a lot of our teenagers have Bethel experiences in ground zero. But you're stay home that's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother story. Uh, We take men to men's retreat. Many of our men have had Bethel experiences at men's retreat. Their lives have been transformed. I've got wives who tell me every year, if I could just get the women in church to understand what men's retreat does to their men, they'd make them go. We've taken kids to kids' camp, and they've had Bethel experiences. Teenagers at youth camp have Bethel experiences. You can have one right here on Sunday. That moment, that encounter with God where he shows himself alive and strong in your behalf, and he's not somebody you've heard about. See, uh, that's what it says in the Old Testament. I heard about God, but now he's my God. There's a huge difference in those two. Amen? A huge difference. Listen to what it says in Ephesians. But because of his great love for us. Stop right there. Look at me. You're loved. You're loved. All across this room, you are loved. You're not alone. You're not on your own. You are loved by your heavenly Father. You are loved. Have you ever not been picked for a team or a game? Have you ever been the kid that was picked last? You know what I'm saying? Whatever it is you're playing, doesn't matter what you're playing or what you're doing, right? But they don't pick you. You ever had that feeling before? Probably probably everybody in this room at one time or another has felt that before. That feeling where, okay, I'll take Rusty, Lord Jesus, right? I mean, I played first grade, first grade. I I played first base in Little League Baseball. Do you know why? Because my dad was the coach and my mom had control of him. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. Not because I was good and should play it. I, it, was because, it was because of my dad and because of my mom's power. Amen? Listen. Listen to what it says. It says, because of his great love for you. Listen, you're loved. Who is rich in mercy? <coughs> Your heavenly father Is rich in mercy. The next thing it says is because of his mercy, he's made you and I alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you've been saved. The second thing I want you to see is God is rich in mercy, and he's pointing that mercy at you. You are in the house of mercy, and the Father is here rich in mercy to give you whatever you need. Father, I need mercy. What? Get some. Let me read you another verse. I want to go to Lamentations 3. I love this verse. All these verses are amazing. Listen to what it says. Through the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed. Through the Lord's mercy, we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Is that not an amazing description of your heavenly father? Listen to what it says. It says he has mercy. We found out he's rich in mercy. Now because of his mercy, we're not consumed because his compassions don't fail. Don't you love it when somebody's compassionate towards you? Man, I like it when somebody's compassionate toward me. When somebody helps you or somebody has favor on you, somebody does something for you, okay, your father's the very same way. Listen, when he looks at you, you know what he has? Compassion. When he looks at you, he has mercy. Whether you earned it, whether you deserve it or not, you get it. Listen to it. It says that his mercies are new every morning, Great is his faithfulness. Listen, in the morning, when your alarm goes off and you get up, whatever your morning looks like, whatever time it is, when you get up in the morning, God has a boatload of fresh mercy for you. Tuesday morning, whatever that looks like for you. Alarm, whatever time it is, whatever you've got going on, when your feet hit the floor, God has another fresh boatload of mercy for you. Wednesday, whatever that looks like for you. I leave on Wednesday and go to the Driscoll house. I get over there and have coffee. Well, when I I get up on Wednesday morning, God has a fresh boatload of mercy just for you. It happens Thursday. It happens Friday. It happens Saturday. It'll happen again next Sunday. And it starts all over again on Monday. Every morning. His mercies are new. What? Every morning. Not once a week. Not once a month. Not on leap year right? Every morning, listen, you're in the house of mercy. There's mercy available to you for whatever you need this morning. That mercy's fresh every morning. He has compassion for you, for your family, for your children, for your grandchildren. No matter what's going on, no matter how bad it seems, no matter how impossible it seems, no matter how dark it seems, God has compassion and God has mercy. And it's fresh and new every morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. You and I are in the house of mercy. You are sitting in the house of mercy. And God said, when you gather in this place, I'm going to meet your needs. Amen? Praise God. Y'all stand up and let me pray. Father God, I want to thank you for every person in this service. Thank you that you're merciful, Father that you're filled with mercy, you're filled with compassion, and that the penalty of our sin has been paid. Father, I am so thankful that when my feet hit the floor in the morning, there's fresh mercy. I'm grateful, Father. Lord, my heart this morning is that every person in this service would receive mercy. I speak mercy over every family. I declare mercy over every person this morning that they leave here strengthened in your mercy. Father, I'm thankful for it. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen.